welcome to an emergency edition of hey great shot west off i need sirens in the background we're talking tornado siren oh my god it's a fire truck i'm looking for all the sirens in the book and a Vern lundquist oh my goodness oh my goodness because Can I also second- just get a lion's roar, please? I want to roar. <laughs> because for the <laughs> second year in the row, we have been gifted to a Paris Masters surprise that deserves our immediate attention. Joining me just like he did last year is my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the man I turn to when events like this happen on, in the tennis world, Maxwell the Bauer Rothman. Maxie, hey, great shot. Yeah, this is a, a nice little reminder that we actually did this emergency pod for Jack Sox championship run last year. And I I know you're going to have a couple times throughout this pod where you say, oh, I called Karen Khachanov, you know, most improved this year. Khachanov. Khachanov. I'm also so excited that he won because we can say <laughs> Khachanov like 17 times in this, this pod. This is going to be the Khachanov The Khachanov. And – but sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yes, I've been on that bandwagon for quite a bit of time now, and obviously that's the reason we're here today because Karen Kiechnov takes home the Paris Masters title, the first Masters title of his career, second title for him on the year. We will get to all of those things in a second. We're also going to talk today about another emergency event. It's not a one emergency pod, a two emergency pod, because Tommy Paul has made a statement. He is back, and he is in full form as he takes home the Charlottesville ATP Challenger title, first Challenger title of his career. We'll talk about both of those things really quickly, as always, if you've missed any of the action, and clearly there has been a ton of action going on in the tennis world. Go to our website, CrackedRackets.com, our team of writers covering everything from every aspect. You know, you're going to want to check them out. Alex Gornett with the weekly drop shots, Stokoyak doing whatever it is he likes to do, Ryan Cardiff, Anna Bright, Parson Amati, Jamie McDonald, Beautres, Kale Hammond, James Sophia. You know, ton of good content on there, so go check that out. Like us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Check out the other podcasts, the Cracked Interviews podcast. Like, rate, subscribe, review, all of those fun things. But enough of that, Max Rothman. We wanted to keep today's edition of the pod short, and we wanted to focus on the big things. So let's start with Kachinov's title in Paris. Uh, obviously, for those of you that don't know, the Paris Masters 1000 event, the final ATP event on the calendar. Obviously, there is the finals themselves, but as that's a closed event, not open to the entire field, you know that's its own separate thing. This Paris Masters really is the final chance to see all of these players on the season. And Max Rothman, what does it say to you that a next-gen player like Karen Kachinov is taking home this title? Well, look, I mean, we've said all season that we're about to start seeing some of these next-gen guys make moves, and here's the first big one. Um, I, th- I think, you know, well, maybe not the first big one. I think we saw Chung earlier in the year, you know, make a semis run. We, we've seen a lot of these guys start making it further and further. Pass taking a title, and, and, you know, a lot of these guys taking titles. Um, but this is a big one. This is, you know, to have the run that he did going through – you know, who, how many top 10 guys did he go through? Three? So, you know, looking at his route, you know, going through Isner, Zverev, Team Djokovic, that's disgusting. Um, and so to have that kind of consistent level of play is awesome to see. Uh, and, and I know you said pre-pod that you had a hot take coming. Um, and, I, and I do too. And I don't know whether to drop it quite yet, but I think I'm going to. I'm going to let my take brew for a little bit. 
But I promise you, it's juicy. But hit me with yours right off the bat. I think Kiechnov. <laughs> and can we say we understand that's not how you pronounce it? That's been a running <laughs> gig on the Great Shot Podcast. If we people made are now listening. Before. Yeah, and they're now listening. They know this guy's name. They've heard the commentators say it all week long. So to anyone who thinks we're butchering it, it is intentional. But go on, Max Rothman. Um, I think there is. <laughs> I don't want to be too <laughs> too certain here. But I have a strong feeling that he could take a Grand Slam next year. Oh, cue the sizzle, Westop. That is a hot take. Okay, so that was not going to be my take. I knew something like that was brewing from you, though. I could just tell from your excitement in this match, the way you've been texting me all week as each Kachanov result comes in. Uh, something you mentioned earlier, Kachanov took out four seeded player or four top 10 players not just seeded four top 10 players in this event this week Kachanov became the sixth player not ranked in the ATP top 10 to defeat four top 10 players in a single Masters 1000 event uh now, we're not going to do an out Granted, well, gonna, he, he is ranked 11th. <laughs> well, so, no, no, we should say now he's ranked 11th. He came what, into the week around a little 16? bit lower than that. I, I, was gonna, I think it was 18 yeah. or 19. Right. But yeah, you know, he joins exclusive company here. Goran Ivanisevic, Thomas Enquist, Guillermo Canas, your boy Joe Wilfred Songa. And he actually joins Stefano Tsitsipas, who did it earlier in this year in Toronto. That's an important stat for you I want to hold on to. Another one, you talk about these breakaway performances we've had this year. Most from the these young guys most masters 1000 semifinals you have first place alex zverev with five masters sem- uh, semifinals on the year Djokovic and federer with four nadal with three anderson chilich chorich del potro kiachnov and team with two a bunch of guys also have one appearance but because there's so many we'll leave that one out i think it's too hot of a take to say well maybe it's not too hot of a take but as opposed to saying he's going to win a Grand Slam title next year, Alex Gornett has been talking a lot in our Slack that he's going to win one before Zverev. I think you look at Zverev, again, has more semifinals of the year. If you're saying Kachanov with this result jumps Zverev, that's too big of a uh, leap for me to make after one event. But this is certainly exciting. So look, and that's the reason I said he has a chance to win a Grand Slam next year. I'm not saying he's going to. I think he proved that he's capable of it, and so that's where I agree with Gornet. Uh, I really do think that you know he showed here that he has the potential, and so look, if he can play to the quality and level that he was able to in this tournament, I mean, it's obviously different in a out of three out of five set match, but I don't know. I think the other thing that I learned from him, not not to dig too deep into. The, the technicalities and, you know, exactly what happened in each match. But I think he's a sneaky good mover. I think he uh, has, It's not sneaky at all. What do you mean it's not sneaky? I think people have, have said that he's not quite good enough of a mover on court. Okay, so this is a perfect time to get into my comparison. First of all, who has ever said that? We talked all U.S. Open about his distance covered in his matches and how dominant he was in that match against Nadal in, the, you know, his But even in the runs. Nadal match, we talked about how... You know, sure, he he covered a lot of court, but it's not like he was a flawless mover out there. He's on the he's on stretch a lot, and he was in the match against Djokovic. But what I'm realizing is that even on stretch, he's able to put the ball in deep parts of the court and keep himself in points. Again, so I, I still don't even know if I would say he's a fantastic mover. He's smart. He knows where to be in the court. He positions himself well, but he's on the stretch a lot. 
So here's my sizzling hot take for you, and this is the perfect time to bring it up. I think Kiachinov is the writing adult. I, I really do. You talk about the physicality oh they bring on the court, that is match in, match so... out. The heaviness of both of their forehands. Now, of course, Kachanov's a righty, so it looks a little bit different. But the way he goes after that forehand, always seeking the inside-out forehand, moving the ball around the court, looking for that shot to be his finishing finishing shot. I think he steps into the backhand similarly to Nadal. I think when they're both taking that ball early, they have more success. They're also, neither of them's afraid to play, you know, 15 feet behind the baseline if needed. They trust how physical they are. The other thing with Kachanov, you mentioned his movement. You look at his results at the end of the year. He wins a title in Moscow a couple of weeks ago. He wins this event. He is one of the few guys on tour who has made it to the end of October and is still fit. And that is something that is so important and so impressive to see from the young 22-year-old. I mean, you look at, I mean, Federer looked worn down at the end of the season wore down. He didn't even play a full season. Djokovic in the final against Kachanov just gassed. I think it's a testament to Karen Kachanov that the work he puts in off of the court, his fitness is probably the most impressive of any of the young guys and in that massive group we've talked about. All right. I, I wanted to let you finish that rant there. There, can I also can, say real quick no. a stat I brought up earlier <laughs> about beating four top ten players? I thought you were going to jump on me with that Songa stat from Toronto 2014. He beat Djokovic, Federer, a prime Dimitrov, and a prime Murray. That is as impressive of a four match streak as any player can have. It, it is absolutely. I, I didn't. I didn't want to jump too much into the, the <laughs> details yet. I also was ready to to talk about this Nadal comparison. That is absurd. That is absolutely absurd. <laughs> I was stalling. To, to, to say that he moves even remotely close to as well as Nadal is ridiculous. If Nadal was playing this match against Djokovic, he is hitting full-on ground strokes on 100% of the balls that Kachanov, Kiachinov, excuse me, is reaching on. Like, without a question. Also, to say that his backhand is comparable, I also think is ridiculous. Nadal, sure, steps in way more spin than Kachanov. His his backhand drives through the court. He takes it down the line way more than Nadal. It's actually I actually consider Kachanov's backhand a weapon. I don't consider Nadal's backhand necessarily a weapon. Not uh, anymore. You don't now, even think now? I, I agree early on it wasn't. I think no. the Nadal... Okay. We can not, say that for another time, but go on. Not, dude, in the way that Kachanov is able to drive his backhand down the line, he wins Down the line especially. So many points. He wins himself yeah, so right. many points. Um, but he so, also uses that down the line to set up the runaround with the forehand in a way similar to Nadal. Now, of course, that could just be a pattern thing. I just think the way they both sit on their forehands, you know, they make that such an, a crucial part of their games, and that is why I see the... Like I said, it's a hot take. I admit it might be a step too far, and if Kachanov becomes half the volleyer that Nadal is at this stage of his career, you know, that bodes well, and we haven't seen that yet from him. But still, the, the physicality is really the thing I want to say. Yeah, he it's, is, it, it's he not is the an same absolute as, physical beast. But it's not and, the same as Djokovic. It's the same as Nadal, as in they just, they just seem stronger. They seem yeah. willing to go the distance. I also want to make a comment on the fact that you thought that Djokovic looked gassed. I think that is inaccurate. Um, I think this is a classic example. And, and so if you watched the Djokovic-Federer match, uh, he was actually getting booed at times throughout the match, and and you know there were there are times where he was looking for. When you say you, you, you mean Novak? Yeah, yeah. Novak was being booed by the crowd, um, and at times was looking for excitement out of the crowd and wasn't getting it. And and I think 
uh, honestly, he is starting a, a trend, and I know this is a little off topic, but it was on the top of my mind after watching this match and the match uh, against Kiechenov. He is increasingly losing fans and in, in his fan base. The way that he conducts himself on court a lot of times I think is uh, a little arrogant and is, you know, just not the way you should present yourself. He, in this match, I don't think it was fatigue that you might have seen. I think it was the body language that he had because he was losing. Uh, he, he hangs his head. He, you know, talks to himself. He kind of mopes around the court. It, it almost looks like he doesn't try because he's in this weird mental state. And I, and I promise you, it was not from fatigue. He didn't have that hard of a run in this tournament. And yes, he played a tough three-setter against Federer. But, you know, we're talking about a two-out-of-three-set tournament versus a Grand Slam. If this is the finals of a Grand Slam, he's fine. Um, so I, I don't think you can go there. So that may be fair. That, uh, totally fine. I, I think more so than anything, though, it, it's not even that Djokovic was tired. It's that Kachanov was fresh. It's that there was no wear and tear. And this is a guy you know, who played uh, a three-set match against Isner. He, he plays a first-round match. You know match. how he quick those go. <laughs> yeah, he's not a buy, though. The, the real thing I wanted to say with the Isner match, he wins 92% of his first serve points in that match. The first serve is a weapon. Again, His first serve the in the match against Djokovic. It's a weapon. Absolutely. It's a weapon. Yeah, and that is the one thing that sticks out so nice with him. And one thing we've talked about, you know, there have been funky Paris Masters results, as we saw Jack Sock won it last year against Krajinovic in the final. Uh, Kachanov is the fourth unseeded player to ever win Paris behind Hedman in 03, Burdich in 05, and Nelbandi in 07. That's good company for Kachanov to join. Um, again, Paris, because it's an end-of-year event, you never know, guys may pull out with injury. Guys are just worn down. And still, this is a testament to him and, you know, you compare it to the Jack Sock title last year. Sock won five matches against players ranked on average 53.4. Kachanov plays six matches. Uh, the average ranking of the player he played, 16.1. As we mentioned, he goes Isner, Zverev, Team Djokovic from the round of 16 on. That is so impressive from him. And, you know, we can, we, we've can we talked enough about this event. Obviously, he was the superstar. I do want to ask another question to you, Rothman. R- you know, in... In co- oh, sorry. Go ahead. Do you have something to add before I that? I just want to say really quickly before you ask me this question, I do want to mention that um, if you look at the players that he beat and that Tsitsipas beat, they both include Djokovic team and Zverev and a big man, Isner and Djokovic. That, that was the opposite in the top four guys that they beat. Uh, I also want to bring up that you know Djokovic, and this is just interesting, back to kind of the body language, he looked lost. He was starting to like serve and volley come into the net. And I think that was the most impressive part about Kachanov's performance in this is that he made Djokovic change up his style of play. And that is not something that you see often. It's now the you, relentlessness. Now you can continue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. I agree with you. It's the relentlessness. Kachanov yeah. loses one set in this match. It's a 7-6 set to Isn't there Nothing you can really do about that. So my final question to you, you know, you put this in perspective. And another fun stat I pulled, uh, all the Masters titles this year. First of all, Kachanov joins Isner and Del Potro as the as the first-time Masters champions on the year. Uh, you look at it, again, recapping at Indian Wells, Delpo beat Federer. Miami, Isner beats Zverev. Nadal in Monte Carlo beats Nishikori. Zverev wins in Madrid over team. Nadal over Zverev in Rome. Nadal over Tsitsipas Toronto. Djokovic, Federer, Cincinnati. Djokovic over Chor. 
Perch, Shanghai, Kiachinov over Djokovic in Paris. Now, in all but two of those matches—oh, sorry, in all but three of those matches, we had someone who could be considered next-gen, who could be considered the generation at least after the current Big Four. You have the likes of Zverev, Chorich, Team, and now Kiachinov in that group. And Again, Zverev. Uh, I think I said Zverev to start, but again, there's a lot of names there. So you're, you're looking, um, again, Kachanov at the end of the year gets two late titles to really buffer his res or to really help his resume uh, buffer. I don't know. Again, it's late. In, it's an emergency pod. Cut me some slack. Um, but you put him, you know, he was sixth on my most improved list of the year when we did that segment. If you include this Paris title... He has to hop into that top three, and I guess my no this doubt. is my long way of asking you, Rothman, is he now in the group of the Zverevs, Chorich, Kyrgios, maybe Chung in that group of the elite of the elite next gen guys? Oh, Tsitsipas, yeah. not not Chung, Tsitsipas. Yeah, I absolutely think you have to include him, and and I think I had Kiachinov a little higher on the list than six maybe you know in the four or five range but yeah absolutely i i think he has to be included there and i think you know that's not something that you know we should be looking at as like oh we messed up earlier i think he really has made that much of a leap in the last you know three or four months uh my only concern in all of this and i think that we're seeing right now with sock is that defending all these points late in the year next year is it's hard tough it's tough that's an excellent point and so I think this is where we see, you know, like we're saying, he's very tough. He's a, you know, a really brutal player on court. Um, can he stay fit until this point next year and defend it all the way? That's going to be the big challenge for him. Again, recap, he jumps from 45 at the beginning of the year to now live ranking number 11, 46 and 22, two titles on the year, a ATP semifinal, three quarterfinals. That semifinal was in Toronto, Wimbledon and Roland Garros round of 16, U.S. Open third round where he loses a battle to Rothfuss Nadal that we all remember well. This guy had an incredible year, and again, there's so much there's so much next-gen talent, so many young guys with skills, but it's going to be really hard to differentiate between them because, as you mentioned, no one has jumped out yet and won that Grand Slam event. Now, again, the leader in the clubhouse, it's Alex Zverev, and you're f***ing crazy if you think otherwise. The guy's yeah, won yeah. multiple Masters titles, top five in the world two years in a row. He is the number one talent. But in jostling for that second position, you know, Kyrgios, when he looks good, he looks great. Chorich has his moments. Tsitsipas, obviously incredible. Dimenauer, the young stud. But Karen Kachanov is right on that list of players who are, if if Zverev can't get it done at the highest level, he's in that group of other guys who could. Absolutely. I think you're discounting uh, Chorich a little too much. I think, you know, looking at his year, it was as successful. And I mean, look at the way he played against Djokovic just recently. Like he could have taken that match. And so... Uh, I, I think you got to put those two guys neck and neck. They're both ranked, what, like 11 and 13 now? Exactly. So. I think 11 and 12 in the live rankings. And I completely agree with that statement. It's interchangeable. What I'm saying is there's, again, when we did the tiers rankings, there's yes. Zverev, and yeah, then there's the second tier. They're both in that new tier. It completely agree with you. Well, since we're in agreement, let's move on to our next topic. A guy who earlier in the year we were all incredibly high on. Everyone remembers the 2017 summer for Tommy Paul when he goes on runs in Atlanta at the City Open. Looked so good. Was creeping into that top 150. And then this year... 
he disappears a little bit. Obviously, he missed from February to June with injuries, but still, he's 23 and 15 on the year. He had dropped down outside of the top 300. He's only really won two ATP main draw events at the City Open in Winston-Salem earlier this year. And how does he end his year? Or, or not even end it, but start the, you know, that final push. He goes down to Charlottesville. He was going to have a wild card. They took away the wild card. He goes into qualifying, loses final round of qualifying in an incredible match to Petros Frisokos, and gets the lucky loser, rebounds, takes home his first ever challenger title in Charlottesville. He gets revenge after making the final in 2015 and losing to Noah Rubin. But for Tommy Paul, he now catapults to number 222 in the world. He's going to get into Australian Open qualifying. Such a big hurdle for him to clear as he approaches the 2019 season. Rothman, what's your takeaway from this for Tommy Paul? I mean, look, not only did he win this tournament, but he smoked everyone. He I mean, was so fucking good. So good. And, you know, it's funny. We, we definitely rip on commentators uh, at at times. And I think the commentator in this finals against Peter Polanski was spot on in saying that, you know, there has been kind of ups and downs for Tommy Paul in recent, you know, years. But he looks like he is on a new upward consistent trend. And, and I and I think that's true. I think we might see that from him. You, just looking at his run in this tournament, for, for those who didn't get to see this, he took out Ruben 2-1 in the first round. That is bonkers, especially after getting a lucky loser. And by the way, for those who don't realize, he did lose that, uh, that qualifying match against Petros and got a lucky loser and then won the tournament. And I don't know how many times that's happened, but that's pretty miraculous. Well, Rothman, you know if it were up to me, we would only talk about the Challenger Tour on this podcast. This is <laughs> my course. favorite level of tennis when you get to see these young up-and-comers, the college talents, all of this. You know, it, it's perfect for me. And, you know, I went in. It's, it's a busy week for me work-wise. We both know why. And I went into my, I think it was day four of the long slog, four days in a row of, you know, six, you know, those early wake-ups. And... I got to work, and my boss goes, Alex, you know, are you getting worn down? You look a little tired. And it wasn't because uh, we'd been getting up all week. It was because I was staying up watching the Charlottesville Challenger. This <laughs> event had it all. And, look, I watched that final round qualies even, Tommy Paul Petros, because that's well, NCAA champion Petros versus Tommy Paul. Petros is your Paul. dude. Petros is also <laughs> my guy. Shout out to him for coming on the Cracked Interviews podcast. Not once, but twice. You know, that's... That takes a certain amount of gumption, so shouts to him. And that match was played at an ATP level. That's a match Petros wins 3-6-6, 3-6-4. And I, I was texting with Payers and Players podcast host Scott Coulson about this event because he was there earlier in the week. And I go, man, if Tommy gets a lucky loser into this, I'm telling you, he could win this event. Like We could see him versus Petros again in the final because both of these guys are playing so well. And again, for Tommy, you know... It's been a downtrodden 2018. He even tweeted out, I think it was three weeks ago, he goes, the next two years are going to be different because he knows how shit this past streak has been. And I think the most impressive win, he beats Bradley Klon, who's been top 100 late in the late part of this year, three and three. I mean, yeah. Tommy just played flawless. All the things, the movement, solid off of both wings, comfortable moving forward. It was all on display. Yes, look, and hold on, I want to finish really quick his run to the finals here because it is very impressive. He takes out Noah Rubin first. He then takes out Camille, oh God, Polish last name, 
not gonna go for it. Uh, but whoops him also two and one. Takes out Karlovich six and four. I mean, great considering Karlovich has the serve he does. Then he takes out Klon, as you said, three and three, another solid win. And then he beats Peter Polanski two and two. And Polanski has had you know, honestly, a great year. Polanski is at, you know, a, a, almost a career high of 120. His career high is 110. And so, I mean, he's beating a guy who just beat Ty and beat Jared Hiltzik. I mean, had a great run in this tournament as well, and he whooped him. I mean, it, yeah. it, was, a, it was a great performance. Completely agree with you. Tommy, Paul displayed that level he showed last summer. Again, it's just so hard to beat a guy like that because there's no distinguish a distinguishable weakness that it gets just so solid from every part of the court can do so many different things and when he is locked in and focused and i know those are arbitrary stats to turn to but with tommy paul it's always about the shot selection it's always about a low first serve percentage or he just loses focus for a little bit and makes you know four unforced errors in one game and that's a loose break and then he loses a set that he shouldn't lose and just he didn't do that in this tournament he took care of business again all straight set victories in the main draw. Um, he goes three sets in first round qualities with a UVA player, and this is played at Charlottesville against Alex Richard. That's a match if you know you're not confident, you're you're ranked below 300. Tommy Paul can lose that match, and he didn't in this instance. He, he was so good, and it it's just so it makes me so happy to see a guy like this because for people who don't know at home there's the Australian Open wild card challenge and with Sock making the quarterfinals of Paris he might have enough points to if he doesn't get in on his own ranking get that wild card into the main draw but obviously there's a streak of three challengers in a row there's this week in Charlottesville next week in Knoxville where our boy Parson Amati will be covering it live all week and then the following week in Champagne where your boy Alex Gruskin will be in attendance Max Rothman by the way and, oh, I know. You're excited. <laughs> and, you know, that was just a shameless plug for saying I'm going to be there. But the point is, these end-of-year events for players like Tommy who have been injured, such a great chance to get momentum. And I, it, it's just great coaching decision to make sure Tommy actually played the event. Flawless execution from Tommy all week long. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'll give a quick shout-out to TJ Pira because I know he's been working with <laughs> TP for a while now. Um, so, Alex, to... To hit on a point that you just said about the momentum carrying into the early part of you know 2019 season, there is this gap that we have right now, and so you know it, it, there is a little bit of time between you know the momentum he has until he starts again. So two questions for you: Do you really feel that the momentum carries all the way into the new year, or is it more of a confidence thing? And two, where do you see TP this time next year? So for I'm going to answer part one, and then I'm going to ask you a question out of part two as well. For part <laughs> one, absolutely, momentum and confidence, they're related. You know, they're, you cannot have one without the other. And uh, I think I, you I, look I, at it. No, I disagree, though. Can I give you the perfect example, though? Sure. Hyun Chung last year wins the next-gen finals. He is the premier young prospect parlays that into an Australian Open semifinal appearance. A few years earlier, Taylor Fritz wins the Junior U.S. Open, wins a couple challengers in September, starts out his next season cracking the top 75 with a final in Memphis. Confidence and thus, you know, momentum, they're real things in tennis. You Because it's only you out there, you have to be confident in your stroke. So I could not, you know, th- this could not be more important for Tommy Paul. This is exactly what he needed going into his 2019 season. Uh, that That's fair. I, I do think, though, there is a component to momentum where it is 
you know, specific to match play. Confidence for sure will carry all the way to the new year, but I think that there is something to say about having won, you know, eight matches in a row, and then, you know, you've got a tournament in a week, and you're on that hot streak. You've been playing matches, you know what it feels but, like, and then you come into a new tournament. But he was injured from February to July, so or to June, and so all those matches, he didn't get that chance earlier in the season. He's got to get as many I, matches in now to right, maintain right. that top and, and I'm And I'm not arguing that. I'm just purely saying that with a month or, or even more gap, does that momentum as far as your you know, feeling of match play carry over, and I'm not so convinced. So the the big thing, it depends. You know, because he's going to get into Australian Open qualifying, that's pretty early in January. I'm sure he'll go there early, play a couple of challengers. Just having the confidence that your ranking will get you into big events early in the year, that's huge for Tommy. That, you know, to ha- if he had the yeah. burden of having to play futures or just do whatever it took to grind his way into qualities, that would suck. He doesn't have to do that. So that peace of mind is another reason of why I think this title is so important. Um, now, sure. for part two of your question, yes. where do I see Tommy Paul at, at later on this year? If you look at the current li- – or not live rankings, but the last edition of the rankings for American men, Tommy Paul right now, he will jump to 222. That will put him as the number 20th ranked American. He's behind guys like Ernesto Escobedo, 196, Eubanks, 188. And then there's a big cap for Tangelo at 135, Opelka 134, Ruben 131. Uh, and then you have Klon, Moe, Donaldson, Smichek, all in the top 120. I mean, if you're asking me right now, Tommy Paul belongs with the Moe, Donaldsons, and Smicheks of the world. That's his level. When he is healthy, he proved it last summer. He was injured. It took him a little bit. He's shown that level again. To me, that's the confidence I have in him. So if he took a big jump, say, into the top 100 next year, it shouldn't shock people because, again, he showed that level before. You have to account for this injury. Now, where I wanted to have fun and turn this into a question on you, Max Rothman, again, Tommy right now in the 220 range, Noah Rubin, 131. Who ends 2019 ranked higher? I mean, right? and it, Noah's my guy. Full disclosure, we should we should say we're biased he's, because he's, he's actually guy. yeah he's <laughs> literally our guy. Manishma, my friend. Um, <laughs> Manishma. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. I think if this is any indicator for how the rest of Tommy's season goes, neck in twenty nineteen, I want to say he's going to be ranked higher. Ruben has had trouble staying consistently. You know deep into tournaments. Um, I think he's yet to find really where his game lies on, on the tour and, and whether he needs to, you know, be more aggressive or, you know, find a new aspect so that he has some, some way to differentiate between, uh, just the, the good ground strokers. So, you know, it's tough, but I, I think if this is an indication for how TP season is going to go in 2019, I'll take TP. Again, it, it pains me to say, but I think you're right. It's just the weapons, the, the the baseline, the floor for Tommy Paul is so high. If you were going to draw a tennis player, you'd make him 6'2", 160, pretty athletic, and that's what Tommy Paul is. So I agree. This is just – it's so nice to see him have some success. A couple of other fun stats from this tournament, Rothman. Just so you know, Tommy becomes the second lucky loser of the year to win a challenger title. The there other is an, is an American player. He's the 25th next-gen ATP winner, uh, title winner on the year, 34th first-time challenger winner on the season, and the 12th different American 
to win a challenger title this year. I don't know, Rothman, any final thoughts on the Tommy Paul thing? I have one final thought that actually is in relation to both TP and Kiechnov. The Nike Reds were a consistent theme in winners between these two tournaments. Okay, I'm I'm glad <laughs> you said that. Red or orange? Because I saw orange. Oh wow! No, nah, it's red. Oh, it's two hard different shades. It's two, it's two different shades of red. Really? I'm I'm literally looking. I'm wa- they're showing the recap right now. <laughs> it's like it's almost a pink. It, it's, it's like a red. It's the lightest red I've ever seen. So they were in Charlottesville. So I assumed it was Virginia orange. It's f***ing gorgeous. It is so clean. Yeah, it's an interesting to go two off colors of red. Uh, but you know what? It worked for the two of them. So oh, looks so good. My fun fact for us to end on. You know, you look again at one of my favorite junior tournaments, probably the favorite junior tournament of my time as an 18-year-old, the 2014 USTA Boys Kalamazoo 18s National Championships. The quarterfinalists from that tournament, Colin Altamirano, Stefan Kozlov, Noah Rubin, Michael Moe, Ernesto Escobedo, Francis Tiafo, Taylor Fritz, Jared Donaldson, all of those guys solidly in the top 350. I mean, America... Again, we've been waiting for a tennis champion for a long time. I'm not sure if any of these guys are going to win Grand Slams, but I will tell you this. They will be breaking the top 30, the top 20, and we will be seeing them on tour for a long time to come. So excited for all of these young players. You know, the generation, once Fed, if he ever leaves, Djokovic, Nadal, Murray, I think we're in good hands. Max Rothman, my final question to you, and then we'll go. This went a little longer of an emergency pod than I expected. 20 Next minutes, gen- right? <laughs> per topic is what I meant. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the next-gen ATP final groups have come out. Group A, Tsitsipas, Tiafo, Herkatch, Munauer. Group B, Dimenauer, Fritz, Rublev, Liam Kruana, who won the Italian wild card. Which group is more appealing to you? Uh, okay, so Liam Caruana actually is a former SoCal player, which is crazy to me to see him i mean i used to see him in southern california usta tournaments so you also so you've aced two players in this tournament i have I, <laughs> I've, I've played i played liam i must have been 14 years old when i when i played him um but i think that side not just because of that but i think it might be the more competitive side without uh, a doubt it's gotta yeah. be and so my my other question though Draw opened up beautifully for Tiafo, right? I mean, Tiafo's he can get to the final. He really, if if he plays to the best of his ability, he will be playing either Tsitsipas or probably Fritz in the final. God, I would love Tiafo Fritz. I think Tsitsipas, I'm upset that Rublev has to play Fritz because I think Rublev can hit Fritz off the court. I love the Fritz-Dimenauer matchup. I think that's, that's a sneaky upset alert for Taylor if that counts as an upset. Ooh. I think upset. Yeah, I think Tiafo Tsitsipas take Group A. I'm gonna go. F- oh, oh, I don't know about Rublev. See, I think Fritz beats Dimenauer. Dimenauer beats Rublev, and Rublev beats Fritz, and then Caruana can go f- himself because he's not going anywhere. <laughs> he's going back to SoCal to train with you. Um, <laughs> well, look, I-, I think we could talk about this forever, <laughs> and and we will be covering the ATP next gen finals in our next GSP pod. So definitely stay yeah. tuned for and our go takes. check out our preview pod as well, because that event has not started yet, but I max Rothman, 
Thank you so much, as always, for joining me on this emergency occasion. Obviously, we've got a busy front half of the week. We've got the next-gen finals. We've got Knoxville Challenger. And then we've got the ATP World Tour finals, as well as, you know, uh, Champagne and so many other fun things on the horizon. So thank you for joining me, as always. I'll give you the last word. Tennis is beautiful. On to you. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad to hear. Well, then, one last time, shout out to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westhoff, who have a job to do editing a as always. A job. <laughs> but for my wonderful co-host, Maxwell LeBauer Rothman, and our entire team at Cracked Rackets, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Rothman, what do we say to our fans? Hey, great shot. Oh, love to hear it, and we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.